Chaos takes in the ether here from the salubrious confines of Western Hollywood's most enchanting comedy venue, the Bar Lubitsch, located conveniently next to a spa that I just saw a guy come out of. And uh, near a parking lot that's not far down the street in a Russian deli. And Jennifer thinks she saw a woman rip something off in a Russian boutique a couple of doors down on the way in. So everything is as it should be here in West Hollywood. Uh, once again, if you're listening in L.A., as I know some of the people in this room are, um, about this turning left in front of me just because you think there's enough room when I have a green light, it's not working out for me. It's terrifying. It's very David Carradine in Death Race 2000. I don't like it. And uh, I think you're making the wrong move. Um, I, I could quote you that it's against the law, but that means nothing here in Los Angeles. We have no traffic rules in the city of L.A. Uh, Alistair Crowley wrote the traffic rules in L.A. Do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Basically, the law in L.A. boils down to while you're driving a car, if you can get away with it, fuck yeah. And if it endangers people and you still think you might get away with it, come on. So every time you get to a left turn light, right, or a light where someone's making a left turn, because for some reason there's a, a paucity, a dearth of, uh, of left turn lanes and lights here, you'll be shooting down a main boulevard. And of course, this is L.A., so no one makes 30. Everyone makes like 50, right? I mean, let's be honest. People go 45, 50 on city streets because everyone here, by the way, is the best driver in the world. <laughs> So while you're making it down the street, you're booking, as they say, sledding, as we used to say, uh, there'll be a dude, uh, uh, um, say, say 200 yards ahead of you uh, at the left turn line. Now you're closing fast. Now it's 150. Now it's 125. It's like Red October. Uh, Jonesy's on your dick. The whole thing, right? And uh, uh, right at the moment when you think, mm, he's not going to go, that's when he goes right in front of you. It makes a left turn in front of you in a white Tahoe. Inevitably in a white Tahoe. Tahoe. Let's just be honest about that. And, uh, and that's when you almost die. And then your blood starts racing. And then you, do, you, do you flip someone off who can't see you because they're already miles away at that point? Yeah. Uh, in rage and frustration. And I think for a lot of people, you switch to classic rock because that's the only thing that can encapsulate the kind of white people angst, where's my parade, 16-year-old guy bullshit that just happened in front of you. And uh, that's when you need some carry on my wayward son or uh, maybe some Eddie money or whatnot. Uh, I'm going to take you on a trip so far from here. Why did Eddie money do that with his mouth? It was so disconcerting. And that happens in L.A. quite a lot. And I've noticed lately there's a real fucking epidemic of people. Normally people wait. The general rule when I first moved here in the 20s, uh, if you'd be racing Harold Lloyd down Hollywood Boulevard, <laughs> get to Musso's and there's a light there, uh, was that uh, if you're making a left, you wait till everybody goes and there's a spot to go or it turns yellow and the last few cars go through the yellow and then you come through the yellowish red followed by another car because it's always two. A lot of people push it to three. It's when they push it to four, you're like, that's when I put my foot down, right? LA drivers, you'll let the second one go through. You always do because you're often the second one going through. But the third one, you're like, mm, dude. And the fourth one, you're like, no. I would rather we all die in a fiery collision so that my point will be made and that your rudeness will be exposed to the world via the EMTs and the emergency crew at the hospital who I will tell this story to.
and a very and they're going to light a fire and we're all going to drink a flagon of whiskey and they're going to sit down and listen to this fucking story. I've received some gifts. I don't know from who. Was this waiting when we got here, Rye? Uh, please excuse the spelling and grammar mistakes in this letter. I'm dyslexic and often can't tell when a mistake has been made. I have included the red pen for any corrections you feel are necessary. There's a pen taped to the box. All right. Since you've given this caveat and want to be exculpated from your uh, malady, uh, is it a malady or condition? I think dyslexia is not a malady. That, it's not like a sickness that can't be. This looks like one of those tied stain things that you know those tie that never work that destroy whatever. I had oh my purple shirt. I'm gonna I got a thing. Oh fuck no no not the purple shirt. Now it's white and partially red where it used to just be red. Fuck me tied stick. Who wrote this? Let's see their name. Lauren. Are you here, Lauren? No. <laughs> Dear, let's have some music for this. Uh, uh, let's see here. Um, something groovy, I think. Um, I want you to play um, Sexy Boy by Air. <laughs> We're in West Hollywood, and it's time to celebrate. Do I have air on there? Sexy boy on there? Yeah, spin that. Spin that bad jam. Anyone has any molly, this is an awesome time to tank up. Yeah. It's been a lot of memories for a lot of people here, I noticed. Perhaps a little big box, little box? No? Okay. Here, turn it down a little bit. They, they sound like salamanders in captivity singing for their lives. <laughs> Dear Mr. Proops, I hope it's not inappropriate to send you a gift at Bar Lubitsch. Oh, ever so not, Lauren. I wanted to give you this gift in San Francisco. Oh, this is a story. But did not know of the date change until I listened to the podcast. I've been going through belongings in storage. I don't know when or why I bought these glasses. Since New Year's 2010, I can't drink vodka. Oh, Tear. <laughs> Fucking close up, tear. Riff at the end of Rocky Horror. They didn't like me. They never like me! In the, for the past four years, I've been traveling around Europe, often arriving to an area just after. By the way, I want you to groove on this rotogravure. 1890s fucking Ulysses S. Grant stationery <laughs> Louisa May Alcott special that she has found here blue pen blue pen <laughs> not pink pen with like flowers and stuff it's cool uh, often arriving to an area just after you preformed there there's some of the dyslexia right there it actually says preformed the thing is Lauren that you didn't know unbeknownst to Lauren uh, I do preform before the show. <laughs> I am in disparate pieces and I often have to be collected by various means. Many times in a glass, sometimes in a, a, a tube form, but I do have to preform before the show. So you're absolutely right. Not only do I perform, I preform. 
in fact, I'm making a movie. It's a sequel to the movie Performance with Mick Jagger called Preformance, where it's before the movie happens, and uh, it's just a, a bunch of people waiting around smoking. Thank you. Or leaning just leaving just before you arrived. I had a ticket to see you in Edinburgh two or four. But I don't know what that says. 2014. But I was too sick to go. Two is with two O's. She wrote, I was too sick to go. Now, that, now it's a rap lyric. What you wanted was, I'm T-O-O, sick to go. I'm too sick to go. I'm now starting my next chapter and moving to Huddersfield, Yorkshire. Oh, sweetie. You have my condolences. Uh, to study social work. I've been telling people it's the American middle class women's version of a midlife crisis to go back to university in order to start a new career at 40. I doubt you'll perform in the asshole of Yorkshire, but I hopefully will be able to attend a proof. Feel free to re-gift the glasses. Thank you. I wonder if the imprint of each ruler will influence the taste of the vodka differently. Now for the boring prison board. Uh, let's just cut to the gift here. What it is is it's Russian vodka shots and it says rule exclamation point and it's Khrushchev, Gorbachev, Yeltsin and Putin in shot glass form. Yeah, very good. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to drink out of uh, Gorbachev, I mean uh, 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 Khrushchev. I know I should drink out of Gorbachev because he's the one who made peace and he's the one who actually folded uh, under pressure uh, to Reagan. But I, I really like Khrushchev in so much as he was a horrible, nefarious dictator. And um, at, when he was asked to speak in front of the United Nations in the uh, uh, early 60s, he took his shoe off. And he banged it on the table when he spoke. Oh, fuck yes, he did. And you can see pictures of it. And I believe, what was his quote? I will crush you or I will destroy you. I will bury you. I will bury you. Thank you. <laughs> Khrushchev said to the United States, I will, I will bury you. Except he said it in Russian. I'm just doing it as if Tim Curry was in the movie Red October. <laughs> We're going back to Red October again for all references tonight. Bloody. Uh, I'm originally from Vladivostok. That's where I learned to be a Russian submarine captain. Yes. Yuri, tell them that there's been a leak in the reactor. But captain, that has not tell them. <laughs> Sam Neill's Russian in it. <laughs> Sam Neill's Russian in it. Tim Curry, Tim Curry. I mean, in Congo, is he, what, what nationality is he in Congo? Is he British in Congo or like... Belgian? Because he's doing kind of a weird, like, what the hell? The gorilla. But in Red October, he does this straight up, Captain, I have to tell you that we must evacuate this submarine. He does that one, the fantastic Bora, Boris and Natasha. I'm going to pour a little in here for Nikita. Um, Nixon took him out to uh, the farm uh, when they were negotiating. Uh, not Khrushchev, he took a. Um, that one. <laughs> No, he took Brezhnev, um, but uh, yeah, he did, and he, uh, I think he got him laid and he got him drunk and stuff. But Khrushchev preceded Brezhnev. I don't know why Brezhnev's not in here. Brezhnev was a PM for a zillion years when the, in the glory commie days, and he had unfeasibly large eyebrows that his body was in peril of collapsing from the weight of his eyebrows, which were enormous. And uh, Jennifer had a friend from Korea, North Korea, or, yeah, North Korea, uh, which idiotically Korea is two places like the Dakotas. Um, <laughs> And uh, she said they called him, what was it, Papa Bear? Because uh, he, was, he was sold to them as like this avuncular Russian, you know, hey, how's it going? Um, he led uh, invasions of Angola with Cuban troops. Uh, they, they stirred up a lot of shit in the 70s with the old. Um, but this one's, uh, I'm not going to drink to uh, Khrushchev. He should, um, 
uh, rot in eternal fucking damnation. But uh, I will have fun drinking out of his glass. So uh, 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 what do they say? Uh, yeah, dos, dos bidonia. Mm. Prost. Yeltsin. Thank you for that, Lauren. It's very sweet of you. Um, let's see here. I think that the belittlement... Oh, here it is. Uh, someone who could just be a privileged white man and receive so much for so little is speaking up for me. That's very nice of you. I'm not crazy or alone. I find that many white men will find me gorgeous or repulsive. Both groups tend not to listen. The latter group speaks to me like I should be honored with any attention given to me. Since listening to your podcast, I've been able to stick up for myself and articulate my defense stroke point. Thank you for helping me find confidence. Thank you for giving me a reason to procrastinate. Uh, I should be packing for my move, but instead I'm writing this. Take care. Thank you, Lauren. That's very lovely of you. I appreciate it. Thank you for your sentiments. We all have to speak up for ourselves, but mostly women. And the crowd went quiet there. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll still get laid later. You're just going to have to listen to a lot of fucking diatribe tonight. And my new buddy, uh, who came from Iowa, was it? Where are you from? Who gave me Willie Mays? Phoenix. Phoenix. No, I, I, I upgraded you. I, I didn't. I, I, Iowa's not better than Phoenix. I, I'm from Phoenix, so uh, there you are. Uh, Matt? Sam, may I call you Matt? <laughs> Sam gave me the, from uh, Iowa Phoenix gave me this uh, a fantastic autographed Willie Mays ball. Wow. And uh, yeah, I, I tried to refuse it. I want you to know uh, because I think it's too lavish of a gift. Uh, but he said that he was in possession of several more. And Willie Mays writes his name in a very unique style, even though he's right-handed. Uh, there's a left-hand slant, and the W is not apparent. So when you first look at it, it looks like all that way. But I have several Willie Mays things, and uh, it's fabulous. Thank you so much. I can, I'll verify it right now. Not that it needed verification. Uh, and uh, the Negro uh, Leagues Museum, of course, has Willie Mays. But the uh, museum that opened at the Smithsonian also has a Willie Mays exhibit and uh, George W. Bush mentioned it as one of the highlights of his trip there uh, which I thought was sensational let's jump right in uh, people write me not only Lauren here but uh, Miles has written me and he says uh, dear Greg Proop smartest man in the world thank you Miles with the publicity machine running for a Fox TV show about a woman pitching in the major leagues I thought it would be appropriate to note the Japanese women's baseball team unbeknownst to me and the rest of the world is it possibly the air conditioning on in here? Is it me, or am I having menopause, or is it really? It is a little warm, right? I know. See, Violet. Poor Violet has to do everything. She has to mix drinks. She had to come back here and adjust the lights. She had to write part of the show. She's busy. Uh, the Japanese women's baseball team, unbeknownst to me and the rest of the world, won their fifth consecutive gold medal at the seventh, seventh Women's Baseball World Cup uh, on September 11, 2016. And there's a, a link to it there, which is uh, wbcsc.org tournament, uh, tournaments 2016 Women's Baseball World Cup. You can look it up. Congratulations to them. I, I couldn't be more excited for the Japanese women's baseball team winning their seventh, uh, their fifth consecutive gold medal at the seventh, seventh Women's Baseball World Cup. Um, it's so exciting that there's a TV show about a woman pitching in the big leagues. And of course, as you know, there was uh, three professional women baseball players in the low minors this year that played professional baseball against men. And uh, uh, that, that's what I dream of one day is seeing uh, women on the pitch uh, in Major League Ball. I know that it's not something every woman dreams of. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 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 as a woman myself, I dream of it. <laughs> because I think that's when there's parity. I'm tired of the separate pity bullshit. And one footnote that I take delight in. 
The World Baseball Softball Confederation is the official Olympic organization not only for women and men's baseball, but also women and men's, thank you, darling, softball. This means we're getting closer to the day baseball and softball are seen as two entirely different sports as they are, and you can play whichever you like, regardless of your gender. Enjoy your day, Miles. Thank you for that, Miles. Uh, it keeps in, uh, the, the, it, it's the perfect tone to start the show because this show tonight will not include, except for one, uh, white men. Uh, and yes, there's a white guy talking, but only white, one white man will be mentioned tonight, if I can fucking help it. Um, everybody needs some reindoctrination, and, and this, is, uh, this is the come to Jesus fucking night we're having here at the Proopcast. Uh, as uh, Combo said uh, several months ago about Trump, hey, white people, come get your boy. And tonight is the night. Tonight is the night. I don't want to hear about white people achievements, history, or any fucking bullshit that you want to throw my fucking way. It doesn't exist. As George Carlin once said when he was listing singers, he went through a list of black singers. He's like Billy Eckstein, Billy Holiday, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Miles Davis, uh, uh, and musicians. And then he goes, what are you going to say, Billy Joel? Don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> and when he gets to the end of the list, George Carlin will go, it's a shutout. Uh, and that's how I feel. It's like, I, I just can't handle it anymore and after watching the debate this week I've the radish I have had as we say <laughs> in Sweden the radish I have had uh, Estimado uh, Senior Proops th Saint Proops thank you for talking about the organized protests against the pipeline on Lakota land my husband is driving out there with donations and will stay for a week to help cut firewood or winter lodges or whatever else is needed the sacred stone camp it's a deeply profound and important event. Not only are there more and more mainland U.S. tribes offering pledgeling support, but indigenous Hawaiians and Amazonian Indians from Ecuador have joined as well. The ramifications will last long into the future. The cultural impact for the younger generation is huge, and the spiritual and political unity is so profound and gives me great hope. It is a stunning antidote to the Trump hate fest the media continues to produce for entertainment purposes, albeit with horrifying real-life consequences. Um, you remind us to be together in love. I went to see Ziggy Marley play, and he had the same message. Well, Ziggy Marley and I confer before every performance. <laughs> when I'm preforming, some of the music I coalesce to is Ziggy Marley, particularly Tomorrow People, because you know what? The future is something we all share. And uh, please continue to talk about Sacred Stone Camp. Please go, uh, go online and look up Sacred Stone Camp. You can make donations. We've talked about them before on the show. Uh, what's going on there with the pipeline is of the most importance um, uh, to Indians in the United States. Hasta la Victoria. Uh, Paz, have you considered showing Bell Book and Candle for the Halloween Film Club? And sometime soon, my favorite year, we have considered showing Bell Book and Candle. However, we're not. What we're going to show instead is fantastically... I Walked With a Zombie by Jacques Tournier, uh, uh produced by Val Luton, and it's a, a superb zombie picture. And this isn't one of those zombie apocalypse pictures. This is a real icky, uh, people go to Haiti and we get a real big, long glance at the uh, uh, Haitian voodoo culture. Um, and, and in any case, we're showing that on the 25th. Uh, there's a proofcast at NerdMelt on the 13th of October, the 17th through the uh, 20th of November. We'll be doing the podcast in uh, Helium in Portland. Uh, the, the podcast will be on the 20th. The vodcast will be at the Bell House in Brooklyn on the 25th. That's Thanksgiving week. And uh, Vancouver, uh, Yuck Yucks, uh, the, um, December 1st through the 3rd. The podcast will be on the 1st in Vancouver as well. Then back in our beloved San Francisco for New Year's weekend, 29th through the 31st. The 29th is the podcast there. Then we're going to Vermont. Yeah, that means Green Mountain, y'all. Uh, the 26th through the 28th of uh, January. Uh, we'll be at the Vermont Comedy Club which is a, 
Eponymous. The podcast will be on the 26th. I'm looking forward to it. They're supposed to be really groovy. If you like the movie Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, I will be at the Hollywood Bowl with Danny Elfman. I'm not sure who all else. I know all the singers are there from last year. I don't know if uh, Pee Wee and Ken Page and all that. I assume they are. Uh, I I don't want to blow the gig on that one, but... uh, if anyone's seen the ads and can uh, confirm this. Uh, in any case, me and all the people who sang in the chorus are there. And uh, uh, we'll be doing Nightmare Before Christmas with a live orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl the 28th, 29th, and 30th. And uh, like that. So that's a real fun event. You will OD on candy. You've never had so much free candy offered to you in your entire life. Not since you were in school. That was a joke. October 7th. Eighth, we'll be at the Saratoga in San Francisco with Who's Live Anyway, me, Ryan Stiles, uh, Jeff Davis, who you'll know from the uh, Don't, uh, um, Don't Fight Me story on the bus, and uh, Joelle Murray, um, one of the Murray family, who's a fabulous comedian in his own right, Bob Durkatch, our musical director, will be out on the road with our, doing our fabulous improv show. Uh, the Mountain Winery in Saratoga, the 7th, San Francisco, the North Theater, the 8th, then Edmonton, Alberta, Seattle, Marin, Santa Rosa, San, Modesto, Santa Barbara, Costa Mesa, and Escondido. We've already been to Michigan uh, this year, so I feel I've done everything I can. Hello, kittens. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. It's easy. Creating your website with Squarespace is a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse or the call of a moose. Free custom domain. Squarespace makes adding a domain to your site simple. If you sign up for a year, you'll receive a custom domain for free for a year. Beautiful templates. Design a best-in-class online store with Squarespace's award-winning templates, customizable settings, and more. All without a single plug-in. Seamless commerce tools. From nationally recognized brands to your favorite local shop, Squarespace is trusted by hundreds of thousands of savvy shop owners around the world, including all the tools you need to track inventory, process orders, and send custom emails in one intuitive interface. Squarespace Commerce allows you to understand every aspect of your business. Customer support. Squarespace offers 24-7 customer support. Every member of the customer care team is an experienced Squarespace user working in a Squarespace office. No matter how technical your problem or trivial seeming your question, one of their team is always online to assist you. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code PROOPS to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. That's PROOPS, P-R-O-O-P-S, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. I thank you, and Squarespace thanks you. Ursus Krilanus uh, is a friend of the show and a Twitter friend. He sent me this today. Bronx woman becomes first black female YouTube pilot in history. Lieutenant Colonel Merrill Tangsdale, a Bronx native, has become the first African-American female ever to pilot a U-2, an ultra-high-altitude reconnaissance aircraft used for intelligence gathering that can fly at an altitude of up to 70,000 feet. That's the stratosphere. There's not much oxygen up there. Um, according to an article in the United States Air Force, as, she, as a child, she imagined flying amongst the stars thousands of miles above the Earth's surface, and today, the this is very poetic for an Air Force release, don't you think? Yeah. As a child, she imagined flying among the stars. <laughs> Today, Lieutenant Colonel Merrill Tangsdale is one of eight female pilots ever to fly the U-2, and the only black female pilot during the aircraft's history. Um, by the way, the um, Tuskegee pilots were uh, at the uh, opening of the Smithsonian um, 
Black History Museum. And uh, they're quite old now. Uh, and the only reason they weren't allowed to fly was because they were in a segregated unit. They didn't fly with white people. And it took them ages to get recognized. Uh, let's see here. Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Jennifer gave me all this. Speaking at the Temple Emanuel Skirball in New York. Yeah, New York's got a Skirball Center, too. As Jeremy Kramer, the unbelievably funny comedian, used to say, there's no better time to be young and Jewish. Come on down to the Skirball Center. <laughs> I didn't shake hands with, but I urinated next to Theodore Bacall there. <laughs> I wouldn't have to work all day long. If I were a little, little man. I didn't do that to him, but I wanted to. <laughs> We were at a Woody Guthrie show. Uh, of course, Woody wasn't there, but Arlo was there. And, uh, and, and Theodore Bikel didn't get up and sing. What? Yeah, but he was in the audience, and he went to the men's room, and as did I. I didn't stalk him. I just happened to catch him in there. What do you say, though? God, I love when you do Edelweiss. <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg revealed she does 20 push-ups every day and 30-second planks. I do 10, then I breathe, then I do 10 more, said the 83-year-old. To thunderous applause. I wish I could drop a curtain over every field of human endeavor, Ginsburg said, referring to an experiment in the world of classical music, where once a curtain was put between the auditioning musicians and the selection committee, women began to appear in orchestras in far greater numbers. Yeah, once men know that it's not a woman going up there, then they're willing to go for it. On her friendship with Sandy Day O'Connor, Sandra Day was the first woman, a justice on the Supreme Court, appointed by Reagan. How do you like those apples? She told me just enough so I could navigate the court. She was the lone woman on the court for 12 years before Ginsburg's nomination and whose mentorship style was one of tough love. During one of Ginsburg's bouts with, can bouts with cancer, O'Connor told her, do chemo on Friday. You'll get over it and you can be back in court on Monday. <laughs> Sandy Day uh, was uh, retiring right when um, uh, Gore versus the state of Florida happened. But she did stick around long enough to uh, reaffirm affirmative action in her one of her last decisions. So you never really know with people when they're on the court a long time which way they're going to scooch over. I mean, obviously with Scalia, you knew. <laughs> there was no ground game. You were not going to move those fucking goalposts at all. Uh, let's see here. Uh, she gave me this, Jennifer, about uh, a quote. It was a picture of the Beatles uh, supposedly meeting uh, Fats Domino. And Fats Domino had the most enormous watch in the shape of a star. It was so cool. And it's the 50s and he's, or early 60s. He's got giant hair. And they're, and they're the Beatles in their suits. And it says, the Beatles asked to meet him. And he wasn't anywhere to be found. Someone found him buying groceries. <laughs> He had a diamond star watch. The watch is in the star shape and it's a diamond. Uh, it's in diamonds. I read an article about him before Katrina years ago in uh, Mojo Magazine in Britain. And the guy went to New Orleans to his crib and Fats Domino lived right in the quarter. And he had to be airlifted from his home during the horrible diaspora that was completely the Bush administration's fault. Uh, that is Katrina. Uh, and the, the hideousness that was uh, the slavery uh, and forced indentured bondage that was fucking Katrina and the mass murder uh, that we've never really dealt with in this country. But there you are. I told you it was going to be a fun night um, anyways uh, the guy goes to visit him he's a British reporter and they're making gumbo on the stove of course and he Fat's not making it he's directing the scene right and he, and he goes uh, I spend about uh, two three hundred dollars on groceries every day and he goes I weigh close to three hundred but y'all gotta remember I'm only five four uh, <laughs> And I'd like to, in tribute to Billy Lucas, uh, the late comedian from San Francisco, do Billy Lucas's joke. 
Fats Domino singing the national anthem. Oh, take a new tea. Boom, 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 boom. By the dawn, early lime. <laughs> What's so proudly we hail? At the twilight, I gleam. Who brought tripe and bright tar? <laughs> Through the perilous night. Fantastic. Thoughts was asked by WWL-TV's Eric Paulson if he got to meet the Beatles when they were in New Orleans. Fats said, no, they got to meet me. Uh-huh. The wind and the willows played. Not my favorite, my favorite. Yes, it's me and I'm in love again. Uh-uh-uh. They had your loving since you know where. Ooh-wee. Ooh-wee, baby, don't you let your dog bite me. That's a fucking lyric. Uh, Beyonce uh, had Big Frida introduce her at the Superdome. Uh, but you know who Beyonce is. Big Frida is the queen of twerk. And uh, if you've never seen the show, it's on Fuse, is it? Yeah. And uh, it's fantastic. We've been watching it for several seasons. Big Frida has had all kinds of drama. And... Uh, <laughs> Big Frida uh, uh, has this giant twerking crew of mad dancers and they really throw down like New Orleans uh, uh, twerk style. It's really loud and percussive and shit. It'd be like a song would be like like for a year. It's really good. And people are upside down with their asses. Ass everywhere. Ass everywhere. Ass everywhere. Ass everywhere. Right? It's fucking good. I'm doing it no justice. And uh, Frida is, uh, I don't know, six and a half feet tall. Um, and some of the dancers are, wow. They're on the reel. They're very secretive about everything. So I got the call at the last minute, she explained. When I hit the stage, my heart was pounding. Right before I came on, Beyonce gave me a little kiss on my hand and I just died on the steps. It was very special for me tonight and special for me to represent New Orleans and represent the queen who holds it down. I did, and this is what he said for his intro. I did not come to play with you hoes. I like cornbread and collard greens. Slay, slay, slay. Are you ready, New Orleans? The one and only. And that was it. I like cornbread and collard greens. Yeah, it's on. So very, very fucking on. Uh, now to the main event. Um, we had a, a, um, a match this week um, between um, uh, the Orange Yam team and the smartest person who ever lived team. Uh, the most overqualified person who's ever stood for the office of president. Uh, and I include Franklin Delano Roosevelt in that August assemblage of miscreants, ne'er-do-wells, and partial deplorables. Um, uh, uh, she had to uh, joust against uh, a fascistic, hideous uh, bunch of carrots with a amber ground squirrel strewn across the pate. It was the most ignominious... Uh, uh, let me put it this way. If you don't know what male privilege is, and if you don't know what white male privilege is, and if you're having trouble understanding that concept, and if you still think women have it too easy because when they're pretty, they can get away with whatever they want, and you hold all these weird truths to be self-evident that haven't been self-evident ever, um, understand that what happened this week on Monday night was the absolute apogee of white male privilege in the history of the United States. An unprepared, unsophisticated, 
contemptuous of us and our intelligence, contemptuous of his own constituencies, <clears throat> intelligence and wherewithal, um, making no effort whatsoever than to do anything but regurgitate the already tired um, uh, maxims, bromides, and uh, racially inflammatory invective that he has been spewing in his third-rate cut-price 99-cent store neo-Nazi bullshit wagon that he has been spreading fucking fuel all over the United States, destroying uh, the fiber of what we had tried to build up over eight years of having a calm, judicious, um, resolute, um, practical black president who speaks as an adult to us with vocabulary, words, compound sentences, and abstract thoughts, and understands that we can comprehend said same. Um, instead, he pulled the same shenanigans that he's pulled since jump one, and by that I mean since the 70s. There has been no change in him. There was never a change. What changed was the electorate, the playing field, and the disintegration of the Republican Party as we know it as an entity in the United States that exists to promote an alternative to the Democratic Party, which it does not anymore. What it presents is a white supremacist, homophobic, misogynistic, racist, bigoted, a, mis a mis uh, misogynist point of view of the world, a hateful, fear-packed place where the streets for black people are full of bullets flying everywhere and broken glass. It's like a bad Grandmaster Flash song. For white people, there's nothing but abject giant lines to wait in while you can't get gasoline or food or get another job. Um, uh, for, everyone, for women, um, they're fat or they're not fat enough or they're too fat or they're not up to his standards. For Mexicans, uh, for any Latin person, they should be sent back where they came from until they can learn to assimilate in our country. It's nothing but hate speak couched in nonsense wrapped in a pigs in a blanket bullshit orange jam fucking <laughs> torpedo of bravado and uh, media desperation. The other perfect storm that happened at the same time as all of the cosmic chickens coming home to roost on the effervescent <laughs> purple tumescent hate stick that the Republican Party has built twig by twig, Lincoln log by Lincoln Log and adhered with the glue of the blood of the fucking workers is that turning us against ourselves is the oldest gambit in American politics. It's been used since day one. That's what the Whiskey Rebellion was about. Okay, you guys? So let's just get one thing straight. Now, since the Nixon strategy, we could go back further, but let's start with Nixon's strategy. Uh, the white fright strategy, the white flight strategy, uh, uh, the, uh, the October surprise, the, the 72 election. Um, the ultimate culmination of that through Reagan and having uh, Herbert Walker uh, boulderize it and having W Christianize it and put secret messages, blood of the lamb and all that weird uh, uh, born again anti-Semitic shit into it is this is what you get. The dumbification of a constituency who obviously is voting against their own good, but that's as old as time. That, that's such an obvious point. I'm, I'm even hesitant to make it. Uh, the point of Greek democracy was not to vote for your own good. Uh, the point... <laughs> <laughs> Of course they're voting against their own good. Why? Because they're being cosseted in a large enveloping quilt that's been built stitch by stitch, patch by patch, by every racist, white supremacist, alarmist, and hate monger that has ever fucking had the pulpit in this country, which is all of them. And I'm including Billy Graham and W and Nixon and Kissinger and whoever else you want to fucking get on to. Phyllis Shafley. There, I've said it. I know she's dead now, but she did no good for the fucking world with her uh, vitriolic rhetoric. She really did not. That was not making everyone feel better. Well, now you're just blaming and blaming and casting aspersions and putting icky nicknames on people. All right, let me take it upstairs. 
Um, this was the natural and Darwinian evolutionary result of putting that forward time after time after time. You may have noticed a certain tailing off in the quality of the candidates uh, right around the year 2000 on the Republican side. Then in 2004, uh, we stood John Kerry. Oh, hooray. Then in 2008, finally, it was Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton against uh, 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 John McCain, who was not out of left field, but the people that were standing with John McCain, mm, and then in 2012, you may have noticed that the giant field that included Rick Perry and Herman Cain was, and Newt Gingrich and Mike Huckabee was one of the worst gatherings of white people that's ever been in a room together. <laughs> and I include when the Nazi High Command uh, was working on Kristallnacht because the Nazi High Command not only believed in weird occult things, they were organized. <laughs> Then there was this time around, where it was Jeb and Ted and Marchio and, uh, and, and uh, Dr. Carson and Carly Fiorini and Chris Christie. I mean, just saying their names, you guys. This is not a rogues gallery. This is a lineup where you're like, I think it was the fat guy. He's the one who fucked me over. Turn around, everybody. Jeb Bush. I mean, it was really bad. So Hillary Clinton on Monday did with 16 white guys and a white woman couldn't do to Donald Trump, which was set him down and put him in his place and once and for all show that he has no ability to debate. He has no ability to grasp even the simplest concepts that would be required of anyone in that kind of executive position. He only has bloviating and... and um, bigotry, misogyny, and hate to spew. And fear. Fear is a biggie. Uh, fear and hate go hand in hand because if you're not afraid, then you won't hate as much. Um, it's like a, if, if, if I invite all my Trump people to come to the show, because if you get high with us outside and then you have a few drinks inside and then you hear the funk music playing before the show and then you meet someone cool next to you, you're going to be like, fuck, this was better than I thought. You know what I mean? <laughs> and if you go to a Trump rally, God, God be with you. Uh, but I, I would... In any case, uh, th I think that uh, Trump is not an anomaly. Trump is uh, uh, an exponent and uh, uh, the, the bringer of light. What he has exposed, what he has exposed in his glare is that um, there's a gigantic group of white supremacists and anti-Semites, misogynists and homophobes, uh, and anti-Muslims and Latin people, Islamophobes and anti uh, everybody uh, that have been waiting uh, in the wings and gathering steam. We know they've been there. This has been going on even longer than America existed. They were the ones who came over. Uh, as my friend Sean <laughs> Murphy used to say, the land bridge that once connected Scotland to Arkansas. <laughs> Does the word clan mean anything to anyone? It is the same group of white people from 250 years ago that were disgruntled and unhappy that are same, that are disgruntled and unhappy now. I wish I could say that it's different, but it's not. And so therefore, they finally got someone who really speaks to them. When someone spews hatred and bile and is openly racist and misogynistic and people go, he tells it like it is, what we're doing is exposing it. Um, so be glad about that part. That's the part that can never go back in the box again. We know who Bannon is. We know who uh, Corey Lewandowski is. We know who Manafort is. We know who 
Shelley Conaway is. We know who Pee Pee the Frog is. We know who uh, Andrew Jones is. We know that Breitbart is a right-wing anti-Semitic uh, noise machine. We know that the Judicial Watch is largely fueled by that same group. And that uh, the people who fought the FBI and the feds at Weaver Ridge are in control right now of the Republican Party. And that's what's going on. So um, what happens at the end of this is this. Um, they form another party that's even more to the right, that's more to the Tea Party liking. The Koch brothers opened, uh, what, what does Cormac McCarthy say? Like the, the, uh, uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice who could get the gene to come out of the bottle, but then could not get it back to, get it to go back in once he had it doing its own will. This machine was builded four or five years ago when they started the fake Tea Party and gave um, white people a chance to walk around in um, Paul Revere hats and knickers and whatnot <laughs> and act repulsive and make it a normal thing. And no one questioning them going, this is repulsive. You're being racist and stupid and none of the things you're saying make any sense. Instead, it was, oh, they're a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> no one ever said the Tea Party was controversial, by the way, because they're white. Um, if black people started walking around wearing fucking spiked helmets and carrying lances and shit, I think it might be a different matter. If women started walking around with a giant fucking dildo sticking off their crotch and I hate men stenciled on their chest everywhere they went, I think there might be some questions. But white guys will do anything to preserve the status quo, including letting a group of insane people go on the lawn in the White House and chant at the president that he wasn't an American, that he wasn't born here, that he's Kenyan, that he's common, a socialist, that he was Kenyan, that he was Hitler. Uh, all those things that you're required to believe now if you want to be a member of the Republican Party. And further, but Paul Ryan and all the mainstream, whoever the fuck they are, McConnell and Ted Cruz the other day bending over and uh, thanking Jesus while accepting a gherkin into his innermost fucking <laughs> recesses. Uh, up to the fundament uh, he they're all just giving this their tacit consent by going with him that is what you are doing there's no infinitives to be parsed on this there's no way to split the definition in any other way he is a white supremacist anti-semitic misogynistic homophobic racist if you subscribe to his views that's what you're saying to the world you are too there's no way to back off of it and go well i just want my own opinion your opinion fucking sucks because it's poorly advised ill-informed and wildly dangerous to the safety of the fucking public. And I mean that in the most eighth grade hygiene teacher way. <laughs> what we watched the other night was an unmitigated Hindenburg. And of course, it's been spun. Does anyone have any more booze at the bar? <laughs> yeah. I don't care what kind. I'm pretty slutty. It shouldn't be long. I'll vamp till you come back. Thank you. Oh, is there? Thank you for that. You're becoming indispensable. <laughs> Ezra Klein. Trump's riffs were dotted by ball-faced lines of the kind the press will easily check, but more consequentially, he spoke in a barely coherent stream of consciousness. I wouldn't even say that. I would say that we all watched it. And uh, if you're already, you know, down with him, obviously there's people who aren't going to move on either side. Um, there's plenty of people on Trump's team that wouldn't move no matter what he did. They, they, they've made up their mind. I understand that. I've made up my mind. Uh, and, and sadly, there's plenty of people uh, on the other side that don't consider themselves fascist, racist bigots who are being that um, by uh, pretending that there's some sort of rainbow... Uh, coated fucking butterscotch world where butterflies are going to come down and lift you up like the last scene of the abyss. Thank you. Thanks, Kels. 
appreciate it. Is Cincy in the wild card? Oh, are you kidding? No. Uh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're scaring St. Louis. That's right. Are they? Yeah, right now. Fifteen to two the other night. Okay. All right. I just ask. I just happen to know people's baseball affiliations. Uh, I, I think it, uh, the first few minutes, of course, he came out with his usual uh, robust energy. And then he started sniffing so hard and jerking his head from side to side and making bizarre uh, 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 water buffalo noises like he was uh, b- being uh, urged along a path in Cambodia with a stick. At one point he went... At one point he went, like that. And I was like, that's not wrong. That's just horrible. Every two seconds, and everybody's like, the only thing he didn't do is do a shot and light a cigarette up there. He never went like this. So I guess we were lucky. Uh, it was freaky. And then, of course, he did all the things he does, which are bully. Uh, uh, you can look into it and uh, psychological aspects of it. Of course, the projection, right? Uh, I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Everything he's been accused of, being disorganized, uh, uh, being a racist, he's thrown back on Hillary with no success because no one believes any of those things about her compared to him. It's like when Hitler comes to your... Uh, Let's not use Hitler. That's a shit analogy. Say you're hanging out with an iguana and the iguana looks at you. The iguana looks at you and is like, your skin. You know what I mean? That's kind of more what it's like. If you were hanging out with an orange peel and the orange peel went, you should get a dermabrasion. Uh, it's not even the pot calling the kettle black. It's a childish reaction. Uh, that's one of the most uh, infantile of all. Uh, and then, of course, uh, talking over her. I think it was 26 times in the first couple of minutes. Then it was um, um, dozens of, on the night, close to 60, I believe, interruptions. So how many was it? 70. 70. And uh, he, you know, she would start to say something. He just Every woman... In the sound, within the sound of my voice, knows exactly how that feels. Yes. I don't have to make a big circus point about it. I'm not going to string together any jokes because I have none written. I'm not even going to improvise one. I will just say that being yelled over, and I'm as guilty of it as any other man. I I talk over women. Uh, it's a. I wish I didn't, but I don't do it on TV during the most important 95 minutes of my life. Imagine you were running for leader of the free world and you would have access to vast uh, armed forces, uh, uh, nuclear arsenal, um, the ability to um, affect change. If not affect change, then um, at least start the ball rolling in certain areas. Uh, obviously, Obama's accomplished quite a lot and a lot doesn't get accomplished because presidents don't accomplish as much as they do accomplish. And the ones that do accomplish or not have so many in the negative column that what can you do? It's a, it's a thankless fucking job that really leaves no outs unless you're W, in which case I blame you for everything. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, if you knew that you had the most important speech of your life to get or debate rather to take uh, play, uh, participate in, wouldn't you have prepared even at a bare minimum? Wouldn't you have done uh, everything you could to not look like the asshole? It's everyone's worst nightmare, right? Uh, that's not a performer to go on stage and have to expound in front of people. Well, he only has one topic, obviously, and that's his own incipient fucking orangitude, <laughs> his tang-like existence. <laughs> 
And so as soon as it got to substance, he was completely adrift and went to his usual goes, which are yelling and arguing, bullying and lying. But uh, lying is not um, something we can attribute to Trump. Everything he says is a lie. So if he says something that isn't a lie, it's notable. Um, he called her Madam Secretary in the most patronizing Sir Walter Raleigh. I don't want to put my coat down over this fucking puddle for you that I have ever seen uh, in a debate. Uh, even Bernie, who sometimes was boiling with uh, white flight anger, would uh, would would call her Madam Secretary. Uh, you remember at the beginning of the debate, Trump went, Madam Secretary, if that's all right with you, I want you to be happy. That's real important to me. I want you to be happy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so... We're dealing with someone who has people buried in building sites in New Jersey. That was the vibe he was given off, and that's how he acted the whole goddamn night. When she brought up not paying the contractors, and he went, maybe I wasn't happy with her job, huh? Maybe I didn't want to pay him, right? Are you running for president, or are you shop foreman? Uh, consider his answer when he, about cutting taxes on the rich. I'm going to read it to you. This is what he said. They're going to expand their companies and do a tremendous job. I'm getting rid of the great thing for the wealthy. I want to read the question again so that you have something to cling on to <laughs> as we climb into the orange fucking spacecraft. Holt asked him to defend his proposal to cut taxes on the rich. You know who Lester Holt is. He's so wooden. Sometimes he's used as a decoy so that people may hunt waterfowl successfully. He means well. And he went, Mr. Trump, will you defend your proposal to cut taxes to the rich? They are going to expand their companies and do a tremendous job. Cool. <laughs> Who's doing what? Why? We've got an adjective in there. And expand. We're going to expand, whatever that is. I'm getting rid of the great thing for the wealthy. It's a great thing for the middle class and for companies to expand. And when these people are going to put billions and billions of dollars into companies and when they are going to bring $2.5 back from overseas where they can't bring the money back because politicians like Secretary Clinton won't allow them to bring the money back because the taxes are so onerous and the bureaucratic red tape, it's so bad. <laughs> So what they are doing is leaving our country and believe it or not, they are leaving because taxes are too high and because some of them have lots of money. All right, enough of that. Uh, there's bowls of blueberry waffalos that have more thought out positions. <laughs> Nothing, as Ezra Klein points out, and that answer makes even the smallest amount of sense. Nothing in the answer, not one iota, not one fragment of a sentence. Uh, I'll read you the last part because I think you'll like it. Uh, Lester, with a little leadership, you get in there very quickly and it could be put to use in the inner cities and lots of other things, but it, and it would be beautiful, but we have no leadership. And honestly, that starts with Secretary Clinton. We have a government and we've had one for, oh, I don't know, 240 years now. It's been chugging along. Got 50 states, got some territories prosecuting several wars overseas got a giant economy the biggest one in the world treaties with lots of countries like Canada and Mexico a peace treaty with Iran we just appointed the first ambassador to Cuba the other day um, yeah there's leadership 
And Hillary Clinton hasn't been in the government in four years. I know in the pretend Fox News government, she's been there every day. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. By the squeaking of my orange, I hear something evil orange. Uh, this just kept happening. This is the best answer of the night, and you remember it. They asked him about cybersecurity. It started... It started with the Russian hacks, which, by the way, he promoted. He promoted the Russians hacking. Um, if there's ever been a Manchurian candidate, it's him. The difference was in the Manchurian candidate, if you recall... Uh, Johnny was vice president. It was the president was an actual straight up Mitt Romney, old school Republican type. And Johnny, our Manchurian candidate, as operated by Angela Lansbury, his commie contact here in, that was a mole, uh, he's been indoctrinated. And, and then their poor son is going to uh, assassinate the president on the night of the RNC. And Johnny's going to tearfully accept the nomination. And therefore, the commies will have uh, um, uh, someone in the White House. Um, we know for a fact that Paul Manafort, who was recently fired by the campaign, was working for the Ukrainian uh, overlord, who was a, a very staunch ally of Putin and who had to retreat to Moscow after he was ejected from the Ukraine by the people of Ukraine um, until May of this year. He also has spoken highly of Putin, as you're aware of that. I believe 87 percent was the number bandied around and one of the fantastic made up numbers that he pulls out of the air. It's like a game show. Uh, Chuck Woolery is a right-wing conservative, and Chuck Woolery has better policy than Donald Trump. Because Chuck Woolery can add to four. As far as the cyber, I agree to parts of what... I don't know if we know it was Russia who broke into the DNC. She's saying Russia, Russia, Russia. Maybe it was. It could also be China. It could be someone sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds. Like Blade? You don't know who broke into DNC, but what did we learn? We learned that Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of by your people, by Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Okay. Look what happened to her. Yeah, she's senator. She won her primary. She was fired as head of the DNC. She was moved over because of what happened. She's running for Senate. Anybody? I know. Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of. Now, whether that was Russia or whether that was China or whether that was another country, we don't know. Oh, I think we know. Russia and China had nothing to do with Bernie Sanders at any point. You, on the other hand, I get the feeling there's a lot of texts going on. Uh, uh, because the truth is, under President Obama, we've lost control of things that we used to have control over. We came in with an Internet. We came up with the Internet. <laughs> Let me understand this. I wasn't going to go in, but then when we came in with the internet, I was like, okay, let's go in with the internet. <laughs> and then I was leery of going upwards, but then when we came up with the internet, I was like, fuck it, we came in with it, let's go up with it. <laughs> I think Secretary Clinton and myself would agree very much when you look at what ISIS is doing with the internet, they're beating us at their own game. By the way, we're attacking Mosul and probably taking it back this weekend. So, I don't know where he lives. So we have to get very, very tough on cyber. <laughs> have you the slightest idea of what you're talking about? 
and cyber warfare it is a it is a huge problem word and this is where it gets better than you could have ever imagined <laughs> after getting tough on cyber which as you know I think he's banned all galaxies from recharging on his private plane thank you I have a son he's 10 years old he has computers so far the longest sentence has four words <laughs> I have a son he's 10 years old he has computers he is so good with these computers it's unbelievable are we to understand 70 year old three time married multi cheating orange bilious lying sack of Russian employed nonsense that we're having to stagger through this election and burden the most sophisticated person who's ever run for president by having to talk to you in public for 90 minutes during this that you have so little idea of what's going on with the internets with the cyber that you actually brought up your son because he's the only person you can think of who's on his computer all the time and knows what he's doing your son is who you're talking about. Baron, we've seen him. He was sitting with the menagerie at the RNC when all the Zylons gathered to worship you at the end. <laughs> Next to the Stepford wife, Melania, who I'm having more and more sympathy for all the time. The security aspect of cyber is very, very tough. <laughs> It's impossible to derive meaning from anything he says because it doesn't mean anything. No, the security aspect of cyber is not very, very tough. Cyber doesn't mean anything. And maybe it's hardly doable. But I will say we are not doing the job we should be doing. But you just said it was hardly doable. But that's the truth throughout our whole governmental society. If you were a seventh grade civics teacher and you received a paragraph like this I'm glad I've got my red pen I'm going to mark up my phone we have to do better Lester and we have so many things that we have to do better Lester and certainly cyber is one of them there's nothing to be derived from that because it doesn't mean anything because it doesn't know anything they've allowed a grown man with some money and some standing to be their candidate and he has gone on television in the first debate against an avowed whether or not you detest her and that's completely your prerogative acknowledge me this expert on policy there's no denying that whether you're a right wing whether you're Russian Chinese a general uh, Hillary Clinton onions of her she knows this is what she said uh, I think cybersecurity, cyber warfare will be one of the greatest challenges facing the next president because clearly we're facing at this point two different kinds of adversaries there are the independent hacking groups that do it mostly for commercial reasons to try to steal information that they then make to use money but increasingly we are seeing cyber attacks from the states the most recent and troubling I won't go on you get the idea she seems to have a firm grasp of the different problems that are hardly doable according to him because cyber is very very tough you know what are tough? Trump stakes very very tough 
And they have to be marinated in Trump vodka. Ezra Klein uh, says, there's an astonishing gap in the coherence of these two answers. Whoa. Uh, Clinton's basically logically informed. Uh, Trump's answer is word salad. Um, I think it's more than that, and I'll say it one last time, and then we'll move on. What you've witnessed this week, and if the rematch happens, I have a feeling that a hologram is going to be sent in place of Donald Trump. (laughs) Evidently, he's hemorrhaging staffers this week. Two people for violent crimes. I'm not kidding. One in Georgia, one in North Carolina. And uh, and his inner staff, um, evidently, according to uh, NBC, uh, they... uh, uh, the inner staff is having a complete heart attack. He has no awareness of what he did on Monday night and that uh, even people in his camp are like, <laughs> they can smell. They can smell the Andrea Doria being cut in two here and the two different halves sinking into the ocean. It can't happen soon enough. There's 40 fucking days of this bullshit left. Amen. Mm. In any case, uh, what you witnessed was a white man who's rich and empowered and sexist and misogynist and racist and Islamophobic and homophobic and bigoted um, be able to get up on stage and blather like a duck's ass sliding down an icy hill backwards <laughs> against someone who's in complete possession of the facts and was composed and jolly. And um, uh, because she acted jolly and she tried to deflect him with humor and she did the woo, okay, and she went, oh, oh, oh. and... Uh, <laughs> And she smiled a lot. Uh, Britt Hume said uh, the smiling wasn't necessarily attractive. Uh, David Froome said, uh, uh, what, why is she smiling? Is she's at her grand, uh, uh, granddaughter's, wedding, uh, granddaughter's party. Mm-hmm. Now, can you smell it? That's white male privilege coming down from on high. That's white male judgment. If you're a man, I want you to think about something. Right now, pretend instead of a dick, you have a conscience. <laughs> And a heart where your conscience should live. And stopping people when they're talking, bullying them, uh, saying things, going wrong, 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 wrong. While a former Secretary of State, Senator and First Lady and expert lawyer is talking. Who at the very least deserves your politeness and deference, if not complete and utter abnegation and respect. Um, uh, understanding the rules of order and that at a debate, it's, yeah, it's fun and fair to bring up topics and throw zingers and shit like that, but to go wrong (laughs) is male privilege. No woman's allowed to do it. No woman's ever been allowed to do it. And no woman is allowed to do it right now. Hillary Clinton wasn't allowed to do it. She had to be jolly and take a joke and be a jolly good fucking fellow and listen to someone who is the most poorly qualified fucking regional manager of of Circuit City that grabbed your ass and looked at your tits and fucking didn't listen to your report and didn't move you up, moved up his buddies instead and talked about fucking chicks in the break room in front of you and looked at porn in front of you on his phone and uh, called you every kind of horrible name and suggested your ass was too big but he'd fuck you anyway. Every woman knows exactly what I'm talking about and that's who was on stage. The embodiment, the, 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 the absolute emblem of what male privilege is was on stage against the most qualified, um, put together, pulled together, organized, um, focused um, t- stamina. She didn't sniffle. She never took a drink of water as far as I could see. He guzzled water like he had done uh, uh, an insane amount of Adderall before he came on. (laughs) 
Then the Adderall wore off toward the end. And like always, like the child that he is, he lost interest in what was going on in the proceedings. And then it was just, bad, bad, bad. I should have mentioned Bill Clinton because I didn't, but I should have. Um, when you are a serial adulterer who has five children with three different wives, and it is known that you cheated on the first two, known fact that you cheated on the first two, bringing up adultery is a very poor offense in my estimation. Senator, at long last, right? At long fucking last. The question can't be begged anymore, beggared. Uh, and it was pointed out to me that it's people are hanged, not hung. Uh, the point can't be beggared. Um, Joseph Walsh, uh, in the, in the Army McCarthy hearings, said to Joe McCarthy, at long last, serve you no decency, because McCarthy said something beyond the pale at that point. Uh, but we don't have a pale anymore because we've empowered PB the Frog and, uh, and, and, and we've mainstreamed uh, all the racial bigotry and uh, white supremacists. But as I said, the good part is now we know who they are. And when you watch people on TV, I'm only going to name a couple of names. Um, Chuck Todd, uh, Andrea Mitchell, uh, Don, I would say Don Lemon, but Don Lemon is already, he's already like a guacamole of his own making. He, he was... He was a disaster before this blender ever got put on fucking destroy. He doesn't know what he wants. I mean, you know, I watch MSNBC a lot and, and Chris Matthews is one of those people and, and he's a shouty white guy. He just wants to be on TV really bad. I understand. Occasionally he gets near a point and I like it. Lawrence O'Donnell, scoldy, I love it. Uh, uh, Chuck Todd, unconscionable uh, ball player. I mean, really, the definition of... And Lawrence O'Donnell said it tonight, if you don't mind me quoting him. Uh, he said, capitalism presents an interesting uh, dilemma. What will you do for money? How little money... Chuck Barris, uh, God rest his soul, Chuck Barris uh, was a privateer and a coked-up maniac who had many game shows on in the 70s, most famous of which, and most brilliantly, was The Gong Show. Is Chuck Barris dead? Well, God bless him then. Uh, and the gong show was the first of the great uh, shows that has led to the decline of American civilization. And so much as a person would come out and go, and then they'd gong him and pull him off stage. And then they'd vote on it. And it was actually given credence that someone who could do nothing was put on stage. Sometimes people had talent occasionally. I believe Cheryl Lynn. Uh, uh, was the greatest of all who did a what to find I think she was on the gong show but mostly it was garbage he wanted to do a show in the 70s called Greed and here was the premise you put a person on stage and they were on crutches and the, uh, uh, the panels would bid and they would go how much money will you take to knock that person off their crutches and they would bid downward so it would start at 200 and then 175 50 25 $10. Fuck it, I'll do it for five. And that was the show he wanted to do. And, uh-huh, that is what the Donald Trump campaign uh, is at right now. 
what uh, being in the mainstream media is right now is how low will you fucking go to keep your cushy job and have dinners at the Daily Grill in uh, New York or, or, or Washington, D.C. or wherever you're stationed, right? If you're a New York a journalist, uh, you're, you're going uptown and you're having Italian food or whatever after the show. And I'm talking to you, Chuck Todd and Andrea Mitchell. Fox News is already a done deal. We didn't, I'm not even going to bring that into the fucking mix because we already know where they're coming from. They broadcast from Goebbels fucking bunker and they always have. <laughs> They're not being dishonest. They're not being dishonest. You know what you're going to get. But I'm talking about supposed mainstream journalists. Um, CNN has several paid Trump spokespeople on the payroll who are still being paid by Trump who get to opine and sit in those panels when they have the open panels. Corey Lewandowski for one thing. Um, um, beware of what pundits say on TV when they say things like, well, there's a leading question or that casts a shadow or that might uh, people to have uh, suspicions. Then, you know, they have nothing and that they're simply characterizing to keep on characterizing to keep this fucking thing flowing for 40 more days because they want a job when this is over. And that's what this is about. It's about sucking the big white fucking supremacist dick in order to gain what you fucking need at the end of it. And don't forget the people at the end of this that did do it while it fucking happened. Uh, or are you going to be vindictive the rest of your life? No. Forgive everyone. Forget nothing. Amen. The Arizona Republic endorsed Hillary Clinton in 126 years. And by the way, they were a paper 46 years before they were a state or 40 something years. When was Arizona state? Like 1912? They started in like 1890. They've been a paper before Arizona was a state. In 1890, Wyatt Earp was still running around and shit like that. <laughs> by the way, Wyatt Earp ran around until 1927. Uh, much like Frank James, he lived for fucking ever. That's right. He lived into the age of telephones, airplanes, and film and radio. Very exciting. Not like Kevin Costner, but more like uh, <laughs> Kurt Russell. <laughs> Why, John and Ringo, you look as if a rabbit's run across your grave. I do declare. That part's great. Uh, they endorsed her 126 years. They've never endorsed a Democrat. Just to give you some perspective, and by the way, this is an ancient perspective. Arizona is a vibrant place. So we were just playing there in Tucson and uh, Mesa. I am, was born in Good Samaritan Hospital in Phoenix. Um, a lot of my family lives in Arizona. It's shit rednecky. There's no question of that. But in Phoenix and Tucson and the major metropolitan areas like everywhere else, there's a gay community. There's obviously uh, more Mexicans than you can fucking ever conceive of. So the Arizona Republic, aware of these salient facts, wrote this very eloquent uh, endorsement of Hillary Clinton, where, of course, they took up the things that all Republicans are required to took up <laughs> e e email um, and uh, uh, but, but they also said you know um, he insulted Mexicans and said they were rapists this is a state where in order to survive you must have a Mexican's constituency um, they understand that in any case what happened was this uh, it really was no miracle what happened was just this the house began to twitch the hinges to unhitch was rich. <laughs> Just then, the witch <laughs> coming for it came riding on her broomstick, coming for it. I know. Uh, 
It has received death threats and countless subscription cancellations over its endorsement of Hillary Clinton. Phil Boas, director of the Arizona Republic's editorial page. We're getting a lot of reaction locally and nationally. I don't believe true readers of the editorial page are surprised by this at all, because over the past year we've been writing scathing, scalding articles about Donald Trump. The things he's done, making fun of the disabled people, rolling back press freedoms. You know a guy who would do that and crush our freedoms in one area will do it in other areas as well. Outrage among subscriptions. It has also drawn support. This might have been a different decision if the Republicans had elected Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush. Uh, he, he characterizes them as responsible Republican men. Well, I don't know if I'd say that, but certainly well within the frame of the Romney-McCain paradigm that we've come to know over the Uncle Hairdo white guy barbecue years. <laughs> we weren't really ready for the amped up Adderall sniffy dog. <laughs> We are very concerned about what Hillary Clinton did with her emails. But it's nothing compared to the sins of Donald Trump. Uh, and that's what he said there. Um, the newspaper's receiving death threats. How do you threaten to kill a newspaper? Well, I'm going to come down there. I'm going to pull the plug on that machine and print that shit out. Cyber is very, very tough. <laughs> Jennifer gave me this. Chile is one of only six nations in the world where women could be prosecuted for having an abortion. Its first female president, Michelle Bachelet, is trying to change that against stiff opposition. I believe that women should have legally the possibility of making their own choices. In this country until now, uh, this is criminalized. If you interrupt your pregnancy, you will go to jail, and I believe that's not fair. That's in an interview with the British Broadcasting Corporation. Women could be in an unhealthy situation because of rape, etc. And there might be women who don't want babies in that situation. There might be women who don't want babies, period, in any fucking situation. Thank you. Uh, she's working like mad. Uh, the proposal has been passed by the country's Congress, but needs Senate approval. Uh, well done, Michelle Bichelet. Um, uh, Chile is uh, very progressive in a lot of ways. As you know, 9-11 uh, is not just an event for us to uh, uh, observe. Uh, 9-11 in 1973 was the day uh, that the American government helped overthrow and uh, the government of Chile, the democratically elected government, and install a dictator. Now, the last act of that military dictatorship was to ban abortion for all women and make it illegal and make it a, a crime that they go to jail for. So understand where fascism starts and where fascism ends. And when people tell you that they know more than the generals do and leave it all to me, and when people say, believe me a lot in a lot of sentences, um, that's where this is heading. As I said, it's a 99 cent store version of it, but it's still a version of it. Uh, and don't overlook it. Elizabeth Warren, I meant to get to this last week. We're going to talk about it now. Uh, she had the uh, CEO of Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, as you know, pulled some mad chicanery, spent millions of dollars and blew five years of time uh, wasting everyone's money and no oversight whatsoever. Their CEO is unsurprisingly an icky white guy who bears no responsibility for anything. Senator Elizabeth Warren, as you know, is a hellcat of the Navy. <laughs> and is not to be fucked with in any way. Uh, you should resign, she told John Stumpf. This was last week. You should give back the money you took. You can watch it online. And if you haven't, do yourself a favor. Take a Trump break for a minute. Take a crump break. Take a crumpet break. Have a crumpet and watch Elizabeth Warren excoriate this fucking asshole. Because he has to sit there behind a microphone like this. And one of his hands is in a little brace because obviously he's got tennis wrist or something. So he's like this with his tie on. And Elizabeth Warren is hectoring him from the fucking dais. And it is... Awesome. 
You should give back the money you took while the scam was going on, and you should be criminally investigated by the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission. You haven't resigned. You haven't returned a single nickel of your personal earnings. You haven't fired a single senior executive. Instead, evidently, your definition of accountable is to push the blame to your low-level employees who don't have the money for fancy PR firm to defend themselves. It's gutless leadership. She was waving the transcripts of the earning calls. Warren said Stump touted cross-selling to investors to increase the bank's stock price. Guess what? Wall Street loved it. When the investors saw blah, 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 and one of your tellers took a handful of $20 bills out of the cash drawer, they'd probably be looking at criminal charges for theft. The only way that Wall Street will change is if the executives face jail time when they oversee massive fraud. Here, fucking here, Senator Warren. Now... I meant to play Mississippi God Jam. I need you to spin the uh, Gil Scott Heron New York Jam. And this is off an album called It's Your World. Um, Gil Scott Heron has everything to teach us still uh, while swirling in the heavens. This is about the homeless man who found the New Jersey bombs. I know it's called New York, but there's no song called New Jersey. <laughs> Lee Parker and his friend Ivan Wyatt. Uh, Lee Parker needed a backpack we turned down a little bit for a job interview the next day he'd been homeless for several years and carried his few possessions in a plastic bag when he and a friend came across a new backpack sitting atop a garbage can next to the Elizabeth New Jersey train station last Sunday it was like divine intervention he picked it up and they walked a bit it was only when they looked inside he saw a maze of wires hooked up to makeshift pipe bombs his friend Ivan Wyatt and him Parker took the bag to a remote area and went straight to the police they've been hailed as heroes one man who was moved was Donald Goncalves, a 52-year-old lifelong resident of Elizabeth, New Jersey. I care a lot about my town. How could I take what had been a devastating moment and turn it into something positive? He started a crowdfunding uh, thing, $10,000 goal, um, because he li- uh, 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 they live in subsidized housing on fixed income. Within days, the GoFundMe page uh, raised more than twenty-five grand. He's become the de facto spokesman for Parker and White. Uh, they, the New York Jets want to honor them at a game there you are. he's eager to get the money distributed Parker didn't make it to his job on Monday morning he was going to apply to a load trucks because a job interview sorry he was in a, being interviewed by law enforcement this is from a week ago a large food company based in Elizabeth has reached out about giving him a job this is what he said I'm glad I was able to realize what the situation was and react in such a way that thank goodness no one got hurt hero I wouldn't go that far I was doing the right thing how many of us would I'll leave it there. Um, Homeless people uh, in L.A. are ignored. Homeless people everywhere are ignored. Um, He was a homeless person, and he did the right thing. He saved Elizabeth, New Jersey. $8,000 is a lot to him, but it's nothing for us. From our perspective, it's chump change for what he did for us. It's a token for him to understand how significantly his contribution was to society, Goncalves said. This is America, and these stories of heroism and celebrities, the type of stuff we thrive upon. But it's so nice to see common guys like Lee and Ivan be the recipients. As for the backpack he wanted, he now owns two. Turn that shit up for just a second, it's so beautiful. If you have a chance in your life to listen to Gil Scott Heron, you should. Look up the videos when you get home. Now I want you to play uh, Nina Simone, uh, who has everything to teach us always. Uh, Nina Simone uh, um, was a singer, songwriter, activist. Yeah. Um, This is a song about racism from the early 60s. And in the middle of the song, she... Well, let's listen for a second. Notice it's bouncy and very Broadway. Our family's got me so upset 
This was written after the bombing in uh, Mississippi. Um, this happened this week. Ziana Oliphant uh, spoke in front, of the, uh, in front of the Charlotte City Council. Uh, you know what happened in Charlotte last week. She was um, nine years old. She is nine years old. I've been born and raised in Charlotte, and I never felt this way till now, and I can't stand how we're treated, she said, wiping her cheeks on her short sleeves. We're black people, and we shouldn't have to feel like this. We shouldn't have to protest because y'all are treating us wrong. We do this because we need to and have rights. It's a shame that our fathers and mothers are killed and we can't see them anymore. And tears started pouring down her face. It's a shame that we have to go to the graveyard, their graveyard and bury them. And we have tears. We shouldn't have tears. We need our fathers and mothers to be by our side. Ziana made her tearful statements during a highly charged emotional city council meeting, the first after protests over the police shooting of Keith Scott. You saw the protests on the street there. You saw the giant army vehicles. You saw the enormous tax squads with their armor on. This is our country and we're all one people. We don't need the army. Uh, to fight black people in the street to prove that we're going to win over them. That's what this song is about. That's what our country's about. And um, having her uh, testimony this week, I thought was most moving, more eloquent um, than a thousand speeches uh, because it cuts to the heart of the matter. Uh, In New Orleans, um, led by drums and chants of no justice, no peace, and black lives matter, hundreds of people marched through the quarter. This is a week ago. Uh, and and demanding the removal of Andrew Jackson's statue at the heart of Jackson Square. If you've been to New Orleans, you know that Jackson Square is there and there's all those bars around it. There's a little alley called Pirate Alley where there's the greatest bookstore in the world and some shit tourist bars and there's a big statue of Andrew Jackson. (laughs) Congo Square, which is around the way, is where the slave market was. But Andrew Jackson has been given his own square there. Uh, They took down four Confederate-era statues last year in New Orleans. It may not have uh, escaped your notice. Um... They had the city ordinance uh, for their removal had organized, let's see here, including the four Confederate era monuments at the city center of a lawsuit and a city ordinance for their removal, which has been approved, by the way, had organized the march following what organizers considered the city's inaction. The city currently is locked in a court battle over the farm monuments. I guess they're not taken down yet. I thought they were last year. Uh, Waiting a ruling from a federal appellate. Uh, They marched down. uh, They started at Congo Square. While they were at Congo Square... White supremacist and former Ku Klux Klan member and current U.S. Senate candidate David Duke stood with a few supporters to defend the monument. The crowd drowned him out with booze and chanted, go home. Duke left before take him down. NOLA demonstrators arrived. So he talks about now David Duke, who's trying to legitimize himself and running for Senate in New Orleans. A senator, he will sit in the Senate with Bernie Sanders uh, if he wins. Uh, He calls it European rights, European American rights. We already have our rights. In a statement, Take Him Down Nola wrote, if the mayor and city council will not publicly denounce symbols that honor white supremacy, then we will continue to publicly denounce and protest white supremacy. Today's action proves the system protects monuments but has no regard pro- proactively, consistently protecting black lives. Now, this is a symbolic uh, protest 
but you understand what's going on. Um, if there were big Schwat stickers everywhere in the Fairfax district, that wouldn't really be happening. Um, the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Um, spin that uh, first uh, buckwheat zydeco jam, and we'll get to the other one when we get there. Uh, descended from a slave, uh, this family helped America open the African. Uh, uh, if you watched it, uh, it was very moving. If you didn't watch it, I urge you to watch it. Um, if you're white, I really urge you to watch it. Step out of your head for a second and step out of your emotional parameters and. Um, acknowledge the fact that America is this giant thing. I don't like the word melting pot because melting pot's always so white oriented. Um, but uh, 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 black people's contribution to this country cannot be denied. You would not have half the things you like if there wasn't black people. And uh, they were in bondage for 400 years. I'm not going to beat that to death. What I'm going to say is it's a truth and we have to look at it. And then we have to look at the state we're at now. Um, it's not so much that there's more police violence against black people than ever. It's that we're catching them and that we're noticing them and that we're acknowledging them. And that's the important part too. Like the white bigots being outed, the important part is that there are cell phones and that every black person who's mistreated by the police or killed by the police now has some sort of recourse in so much as they can go to the media and show uh, that these things are happening and they're not just completely swept under the rug. But Greg, it was always... Yeah. <laughs> Ruth Odom Bonner was 99. Four generations of her family joined up President Obama and the First Lady to ring the bell to officially open the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture on September 24th. Uh, routine discrimination and Jim Crow aren't ancient history. It's just a blink in the eye of history. It was yesterday. And then onto the stage came living proof of his words. Ruth Odom Bonner in a magenta pantsuit down to... Oh, cock, stop it. Uh, there we are down to her seven-year-old great-granddaughter were chosen to officially open the museum Ruth's father Elijah Odom was born into servitude in Mississippi he was born a slave the story the president told was one Ruth's been telling her children grandchildren and great-grandchildren all of her life we would sit in the kitchen cook and watch the prices right and she would tell her story Ruth's granddaughter Rukia Bonner said growing up it seemed a normal part of the family's history that Ruth's father had been a slave that's someone's father who was a slave that was at this event a week ago. So the whole idea that we live in a post-racial society, the whole idea that everything's been solved, no, it hasn't. On the other side, there's the Crumpian view of the world where he says that they're in a living hell and it's never been worse. If you don't think being a slave is worse than it is now, that's the kind of white supremacist nonsense we're talking about here. Like cyber is very, very tough. Telling black people they've never had it worse in a country where they were slaves for 400 years is the most insulting, patronizing, white privilege thing that could ever be put forward and the most bigoted, white supremacist thing that has ever been mainstreamized in the fucking history of presidential races that I can fucking think of. The glory, on the other hand, is that this museum was open and that they had the wherewithal uh, to bring uh, Ms. Odom there and let her ring the bell considering her father was a slave. Um, the slave Elijah was born in 1859. After the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, he was kept enslaved, forced to pick berries. Then he and his brothers escaped as a young child. He became a doctor and owned a pharmacy in Bisco, Arkansas. They had to swim across the narrow part of the river. He went to medical college and became the only black doctor in Bisco, Arkansas. He owned a store and pharmacy where he would serve the entire black community, since most white doctors at the time would not care for non-whites. 
Inside, uh, Elijah had eight children, so today the family is quite expansive. Ruth is the only living daughter, meaning she's the queen. Uh, let's see here. She made beaded joy as well as savory dishes that all had a signature ingredient. And this is the best part. Pound cake, collard greens. She put sugar in everything. Uh, they didn't know for sure they were going to ring the bell until last week. Dee, 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 da. That part was astounding. Bill Clinton kissed her hand. Joe Biden knelt on the concrete to lean in close to her. Everyone was basking in her light. After years of appreciating Ruth's story for herself, they watched them for the world. This is what John Lewis had to say. John Lewis is a congressman. Pardon me. He was at Selma. He was uh, uh, he was at the March for Peace, uh, Jobs and Freedom in 1963. Um, he was beaten uh, by the police uh, countless times. He was jailed, uh, all for um, the uh, idea that black people should have voting rights. The voting rights that were disassembled, uh, dis- deconstructed, and um, disassembled two years ago by the Supreme Court by the Roberts Court. John Lewis said this. Yeah, I told you this was going to be a long go tonight, you guys, and I told you that I don't give a fuck. I don't care if you're uncomfortable as a white person. This museum is a... We owe ourselves the the respect to listen to this and we owe everyone uh, the thoughtfulness uh, that we can bring to the fucking argument and you won't know unless you hear. This museum is a testament to the dignity. I know that history can be very, very tough. (laughs) Like cyber. (laughs) This museum is a testament to the dignity of the dispossessed in every corner of the globe who yearn for freedom. It is a song to the scholars and scribes, scientists and teachers, to the revolutionaries and voices of protest, to the ministers and the authors of peace. It's the story of life, the story of our lives, wrapped up in a beautiful crown of grace. I can hear the distant voice of our ancestors whispering by the night fire, steal away, steal away home. We ain't got time to stay here or a big, bold choir shouting, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. All their voices roaming for centuries have finally found their home here in this great monument to our pain, our suffering, and our victory. When I was a little child growing up in rural Alabama, a short walk to the cotton fields, but hundreds of miles from the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial, my teachers would tell us to cut photographs of great African-Americans for Carter G. Woodson's Negro History Week, now called African-American History Month. I became inspired by the stories of George Washington Carver, Jackie Robinson, Rosa Parks, and so many others whose life and work will be enshrined in the museum. And he goes on. These doors open. It's my hope that each and every person who visits this beautiful museum will walk away with the deeply inspired, filled, and a greater respect for the dignity and worth of every human being and a stronger commitment to the ideals of justice, equality, and a true democracy. Thank you. This is what Obama had to say. The country's first black chief, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Bush said it was fabulous. Uh, Bush actually had some salient comments. W. He said it was the original sin, slavery, of America. And that was fairly substantial for the person who was responsible for Katrina. It shows our commitment to truth. The great nation does not hide its history. It faces its flaws and corrects them. That's a Republican. He didn't say, well, China and the whole thing and the Secretary Clinton started there and he goes, no, well, listen to me. Believe me. Believe me. Wrong. Wrong. He didn't say that. He said, a great nation faces its flaws and corrects them. That's what we have to do. And that means being a grown up, he said, boozing. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. 
I'm going to move on to this part. The day was especially emotional for Beulah Stowe Carey, 92, who recalled how her parents sent her to live with relatives when she was three weeks old because they feared the South was not a safe place for a biracial baby. David Hudson, 63, spoke of a time he was chased out of a restaurant when he was eight years old. Now black children like him were in the crowd listening to a black president say, we're not a burden on America or a stain on America or an object pity of, of pity or charity of America. We are America. Unless... Uh, African-American history is not somehow separate than the American story. It is not the underside of the American story. It is central to the American story in the museum. Why you'll see Emmett Till's casket there. There was a casket of Emmett Till, the 14-year-old boy who was murdered in 1955 for reportedly whistling at a white woman while visiting relatives in Mississippi. Till's mother made uh, an open casket funeral for her son to show the brutality that had been inflicted. By the way, his murderers were never... Uh, rounded up or tried. The funds for the Till exhibit were provided by the Family Foundation of Philanthropist Peter Kovler, who was in the audience. Peter Kovler's Jewish and white. How can you fail to see the links between current events, said he, Charlotte, Tulsa, Black Lives Matter, and the brutal death of Emmett Till all those years ago? You have to be deliberately not looking at things to, to not see that there are things from that era that apply to our era. Uh, George Clinton was walking around. That's right. George Clinton. And by the way, play that uh, Lamar Kendrick uh, jam there because George Clinton's on that one. Uh, I've told my George Clinton story and uh, he's integral to American life. You're George Clinton. Get out of here. A woman squealed as she grabbed her phone to take a picture with the musician. I feel like a child in a candy factory, Clinton said. It took so long, but I'm glad it happened in my lifetime. He stood in front of the mothership, arguably the most iconic stage pop in all of American music, an object that added to the legend of Clinton's otherworldly concerts as leader of Parliament Funkadelic. As President Obama said, this country is our country too. We're Americans. If this doesn't uplift you, nothing will. This should uplift everyone, not just African Americans, but all Americans, to get to the heights we have with a black president. I'm so proud. Um, This is the part of Obama's speech that... I thought was astounding. On top of the stone sits a historical marker, weathered by the ages. Uh, this, uh, you can see a block of stone in the museum. The marker reads, General Andrew Jackson and Henry Clay spoke from this slave block during the year 1830. I want you to think about this. Consider what this artifact tells us about history, about how it's told, and what can be cast aside. On a stone where day after day for years, men and women were torn from their spouse or their child, shackled and bound and bought and sold and bid like cattle, on a stone worn down by the tragedy of over a thousand bare feet. For a long time, the only thing we considered important, the singular thing we once chose to commemorate as history, with a plaque, were the unmemorable speeches of two powerful men. And that block, I think, explains why this museum is so necessary, because that same object reframed put in context tells us so much more too often we ignored or forgot the stories of millions upon millions who built this nation just as surely whose humble eloquence whose calloused hands whose steady drive helped to create cities erect industries build the arsenals of democracy I can't wait to go there the ticket's a hard sell right now because it's sold out I couldn't be prouder that they built this museum What I can't be proud of is that it took till 2016 uh, for this event to happen. Now I want you to spend that public enemy one, if you will. Oh, yeah. Here, turn this up. You know which jam this is. 
Uh, Bill Nunn is swirling in the heavens. He was Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing. The first major acting role for Mr. Nunn, the son of a well-known professional football scout, was in School Days, which was also written by Spike Lee. Uh, he carries the boombox playing this very song, Fight the Power, through the streets of Bedford Stuyvesant on Brooklyn on the hottest day of the summer. Radio Rahim's character sits at the moral heart of the film, delivering a soliloquy directly to the camera on the season... Man, 1989. <laughs> Ceaseless contest between love and hate, symbolized by the four-fingered rings he wears. The character's choking death at the hands of the police officers in front of the crowd of his neighbors incites the film's wrenching final scenes. There can be nothing more absolutely uh, kismetic and coincidental than Bill Nunn, who played Radio Rahim, who's the, the black man who's killed by the cops in front of everyone uh, in an act of brutality, which is the center of the movie. Uh, uh, passed away this week while we've had all of this going on and while we've had um, an open racist run uh, for office in this country um, I don't think the uh, the impact of it's lost on any of us and that everyone who knew him and met him said he was a lovely individual of course he was in loads of other things as well um, here's what he said I'm getting a little tired this is what he said build on the actor you're just watching a guy lose his life. For me, I'm getting a little tired of watching these mothers on television, these poor mothers grieving their sons and children. It makes me wonder sometimes about where the compassion is. Um, it makes me want to quote Albert Murray, who passed away several years ago, the uh, noted African-American writer. I'm not African. I'm an American. Uh, Ed Temple swirling in the heavens this week. Uh, from 1950 till 1993, Ed Temple mentored a roster of athletes that few coaches in any sport could rival for speed, power, or skill. The 40 Olympians he produced at Tennessee State, a predominantly black college in Nashville, 13 gold, 6 silvers, 4 bronze. In the 60 summer games, the four women won the 4x100 were Tennessee runners coached by Temple. They were the Tiger Bells. They're one of the most famous uh, all-black, all-women teams in the history of track and field. Um, we were watching it this year of course uh, you saw uh, the astounding um, black women on the American Olympic team this year in the 60 games uh, we were that badass as well when he started Mr. Temple in 1950 uh, it faced unending budget constraints they had $300 for their first year uh, he had little help at first I coached I rubbed down I was the counselor uh, Wilma Rudolph, the greatest woman athlete of all time, Temple said, won three golds in the 60 Olympics and did more to elevate women's track in the United States. We've talked about Wilma Rudolph on the show before. When she went back to her hometown to receive her medal uh, and her statue, they wouldn't let her participate in it because she was black. That was in 1960, by the way. Um, uh, spent two hours a day doing clerical work and sweeping out the gym. They also ran fast. Rudolph's three medals, a Wyoming Atias took successive gold medals in the 100-meter dash in 64 and 68. Uh, that was when I was eight. I saw a Wyoming Atias run on telly. Temple's track and field stars included Mae Fags, Edith McGuire, Madeline Manning Mims, Willie B. White, Martha Watson, and Chandra Chesbro, Cheesebro, who succeeded Temple as the coach. Uh, he wanted to bring uh, athletes to Madison Square Garden, but they could only afford, afford four, and they won the title. He was the head women's track coach for the United States Olympic teams in 60 and 64, the assistant coach in 80, but we didn't play in 80. We boycotted. He was the uh, Pan American coach um, for 59 and 75. It was more than a sport. I would tell the girls that first you are young ladies. Always carry yourself that way. Next you are a track person. You're using track in exchange for an education. 
you are doing this to walk across that stage and receive your degree. Athletics opens up doors for you, but education keeps them open. Of his 40 Olympians, the 40 people that uh, were in the Olympics for him, 39 had bachelor's degrees, 28 masters, and 8 doctorates. Ed Temple is a bad acid door and tough love baby tough love you had to fucking sweep up and shit and all in the same station wagon too Buckwheat Zydeco uh, Clifton Chenery if you're familiar with Zydeco music at all it's New Orleans uh, music uh, Buckwheat Zydeco uh, is swirling in the heavens he passed away this week he'd had uh, several illnesses here uh, let's see here his uh, manager, uh, Ted Fox, wrote, Buck made everything better and everything he touched better and happier. He was from Lafayette, New, uh, Louisiana, recorded dozens of albums in his good time style and indefatigable. I love that word. That means tireless. If you were trust Trump, you'd just go stamina uh, <laughs> on the tour circuit, as well as a figure at the jazz festival. He performed at Bill Clinton's inauguration. His performance of Jambalaya at the 96 Summer Olympics was a highlight. He wrote a book. The Kingdom of Zydeco. Oh, no. In the book, The Kingdom of Zydeco, Michael Tisserand wrote, uh, he'd formed his band after Clifton Chenier, the king, became ill and passed the torch to Durrell. Uh, Durrell toured with a pet raccoon. <laughs> I don't know how cool you are to be named Buckwheat Durrell Zydeco. Yes, he was named after Buckwheat in the fucking Little Rascals because he looked like Buckwheat. He toured with a live raccoon. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> He would not perform if his band was billed as Cajun. Why do you say this is Cajun country? You have black, you have white, you have some Indians, Vietnamese, and we're all here in Louisiana. We all make Louisiana work. I'm not passing through here. I live here, and I won't accept it. Um, thank you very much for letting me uh, speak with you here tonight. I've really enjoyed it, and I, I hope you did too. I know there was a lot of polemic tonight, and I know there was a lot of history, but that's how it goes. Um, this, uh, this election is too important to fuck away and this election in your lives is too important not to mark and memorize as a time when you uh, learned a lot about your America, yourself and everyone that you know because that's what this one's about this is a weighing in this is an accounting this is the time when do you ante up or does you not ante up uh, this is the time when you have to search your own soul to see how you feel about things um, and whether you're going to accept the infinite tidal wave of bullshit uh, that is flowing toward you or whether we are going to lock hands as so many have done uh, that I was talking about tonight and move forward uh, everyone is really talking most of all uh, at the African American Museum about Harriet Tubman's shawl Chuck Berry's fucking cherry red Cadillac and James Brown's cape but also Willie Mays' glove was there and I was very excited to receive a Willie Mays ball tonight uh, spin that other uh, uh, buckwheat zydeco jam there uh, you have been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. For every page you turn to be a satchel page, for every bell you're going to be a cool pop of bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. I wish you nothing but love tonight.